I know they took it back a little bit old school. But let me tell you something. There's wonderful truths, simple truths that is in those old red back hymns. I don't know about you, but I can't wait. Because soon and very soon, Jesus Christ is going to split the eastern sky. And he's coming back for you and I. And let me tell you something. That day is soon approaching. I don't know about you, but I'm ready to go home where I can lay down all these cares. And where I'm going is to a land where there's no more pain, no more darkness, no more darkness, no more dying there. And soon and very soon, we're going to be with him. And let me tell you what you're going to do when you get there. You're going to be doing what we're doing right now for all of eternity. And that is praising him, worshiping him, looking upon his face. Hallelujah. I want to see the Apostle Paul. I want to see Daniel. I want to see Abraham. But the one I long to see the most is Jesus Christ the one who made it all possible. So as they sing this one more time, lift your hands up, worship the Lord, and begin to praise Him. the king amen amen i can't wait for that day if you have your bibles turn with us to the book of galatians we started our study on the book of galatians um probably four or five weeks ago and as i felt like the lord would have me to go back through and have the foundation relayed of our salvation and of course dealing with what paul was dealing with with the church of galatians regarding justification uh, by faith. But as you're turning there to Galatians chapter 1, we welcome and we thank each and every one of you for being here tonight. Our visitors that have been here today, uh, we um, thank you for coming and being part. We just hope that Lakeside will become your home. Amen. And also for you that are watching, by the way, on the internet, we 
we thank you for taking the time out to join in with us in service. Um, right before we went online, someone had sent a message because they seen where we were advertising. Uh, let me turn this off. Where we were advertising uh, opening up the sanctuary. And they thought that the sanctuary being open then that we were going to stop the live stream. And they live in another state and they say, and they watch faithfully every service. And uh, they say, can you please continue to do live stream? Don't stop it. And then I said, oh, yeah, absolutely. That's something that we have in place. So, again, we are just so thankful that there's other people in other states and that we get to play some small role in the kingdom of God in having an impact upon other people's lives. So I've said it before to uh, the singers and musicians of those that helped start the church here. What we're doing has great impact upon the body of Christ. And a lot of times I think that we don't see it. A lot of times um, we think that it's not happening. But again, like the song says, even when I don't see it, he's still working. Amen. And we know God is up to great, great things. Uh, we know that he's just pouring out and going to continue uh, to do what only he can do. Amen. And we just give him the glory and the praise for it all. So if you're there in Galatians chapter 2, say amen. And we'll be reading the first 10 verses um, of this chapter. And then Paul here would write, Then 14 years after I went up again to Jerusalem with, Bar with Barnabas and took Titus with me also. And I went up by revelation and communicated unto them that gospel which I preach among the Gentiles, but privately to them which were of reputation, lest by any means I should run or had run in vain. But neither Titus who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. And that because of false brethren unawares brought in, who came in privately to spy out our liberty which we have in Christ Jesus, that they may bring us back into bondage. Let me read that verse again because that is where the bulk of our message will come from. And that's because of false brethren unawares brought in, who came in privately to spy out our liberty which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us back into bondage, to whom we gave place by subjection, no, not for an hour, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. But of these who seem to be somewhat, whatsoever they were, it makes no matter to me. God accepts no man's person, for they who seem to be somewhat in conference added nothing to me. But contrarywise, when they saw that the gospel of the uncircumcision was committed unto me as the gospel of the circumcision was unto Peter. For he who wrought effectually in Peter to the apostleship of the circumcision, the same was mighty in me toward the Gentiles. And when James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given unto me, they gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship, that we should go unto the heathen and they unto the circumcision. Only they were that we should remember the poor, the same which I also was forward to do. I know that's a lot of scripture there, but in these 10 verses we see, and of course if anyone has heard this and if you've had any kind of biblical knowledge whatsoever, the meaning of the new covenant was given to the apostle Paul by God. Uh, this, this covenant of grace, because before this came about, all the Jewish people knew to do was accept Jesus, but to continue to also uh, maintain and try to keep the law. But God gave Paul the meaning of the new covenant and told him to go and to preach it 
Amen. And we know that many of the Jews of that day and time didn't want to accept it. So he says, all right, now you take it on to the Gentiles. And because of his obedience to that Macedonian call, you and I are here tonight. Amen. Saved by the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. But there's one thing that Satan desires to do, and he desires to not only do it himself, but also through his ministers, if you will, and that is to rob us of our liberty in Christ Jesus. There's nothing more than what many people want to do is rob us of the freedom that we have in Christ because of what he has done, and they desire to bring us back into bondage. Amen. And so I want to preach a message simply entitled tonight for a few moments, The Threat to Christian Liberty. The threat or the greatest threat to Christian liberty. Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to you tonight in the name of your son Jesus. Lord, we thank you for your presence. We thank you for the service that we had this morning. Lord, for your spirit that moved, for the hearts and lives that were touched, not only here in the sanctuary, but by those that were watching by the way of internet. Lord, we're asking that one more time, Lord, you would anoint us to deliver the word that you have laid upon our heart. Lord, that one more time you would help us, Lord, to proclaim your glorious gospel. And Lord, we ask that you would help us to rightly divide your word. Lord, help us to do it no harm. God, help us, Lord God, to speak only what you would have us to speak. And Lord, I pray that the hearers of your word tonight, Lord, would receive, Lord, what it is that you desire for them to know. That, Lord, we never get away from the simplicity of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that, God, tonight there would be a true manifestation of your spirit in the hearts of your people. Lord, anoint them, Lord God, to receive your word and will forever give you praise for it all. In Jesus' wonderful name. Amen and amen. We've all heard the statement uh, that you have to give and take in relationships and really in anything that you do in life. And there are times that you will compromise. If you're married or even if you're not married and with your family, there are times that you will have to compromise in order to come to an agreement. And to you do these things for the sole purpose to avoid confrontation. Uh, you find this out, especially when you get married, that it's not all about you, but that you have to sometimes compromise. It's not always what you want, but it's, you know, compromising the two there. So I know, and again, that Stacy doesn't like confrontation, because when you don't compromise, a lot of times there can be confrontation that is there, and many people don't like it. Uh, Stacy don't like confrontation. I don't like confrontation. Some people run toward confrontation, right? They don't care anything about it. It doesn't bother them. But a lot of times to avoid confrontation in life, we find ourselves compromising just to keep peace. You'll compromise just to keep peace. And in this epistle that Paul has written to the Galatians, we find him coming toe-to-toe, -to -toe, if you will, with these Galatians and especially these Judaizers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so I said all of that to say this, and I'll get more into it as we go along in the message. Paul did not compromise the gospel of Jesus Christ for nothing. In fact, he had no problem with confrontation when it came to defending this gospel, when it came to defending the meaning of the new covenant, when it came to defending uh, the gospel of grace. And so if there's one thing that we must take a stand for in its pureness and in its sacredness, it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? 
We have to take a stand for it. And I know that the word stands all upon its own, but God has not only called us to accept the gospel, but he's also called us to proclaim the gospel and to defend the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? And so Paul was a man of humility, but there was one thing that would arouse him. If there was one thing that would arouse him more than anything and that it should arouse each and every single one of us is that when the gospel of Jesus Christ was being perverted and changed. You wanted to make the Apostle Paul angry. You wanted to make him mad. And it goes back to the second week when we were preaching in Galatians. He's seen that these Judaizers were coming in and he uses the word perverted the gospel of Jesus Christ. They were trying to change it in its pureness and in its sacredness. And let me tell you tonight, there's not ten Gospels, there's not five Gospels, there's only but one Gospel of Jesus Christ, amen? And it is by faith and grace that we are saved. We're saved by grace through that channel of faith. Nothing else and nothing more. And Paul lays it out here in this epistle that we're not justified by anything that we do, but we're justified by our faith. Amen? So again, my salvation, your salvation, all rests upon the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Do you hear me tonight? It ain't just solely about the resurrection. A lot of people want to hone in on the resurrection and want to place their faith in that. Listen, you can have no resurrection until someone first dies. Amen? The resurrection couldn't come until one first was dead. And so Jesus Christ died, he was buried, and we know that on the third day he arose. Amen. And because you and I have been saved, we too are the same way. We was, we was baptized unto his death, we were buried with him, and we came forth in newness of life. That's what Paul was talking about when he said that we are now a new creature in Christ Jesus. All things have passed away. All things have become new. Amen. So the doctrine of justification by faith, if you will, was on trial. And, if, and Paul knew that if it wasn't defended, the church was going to lose its way. Because we have to understand if we get this wrong, we're in trouble. Do you hear me tonight? And I think that is an important truth that we as a church have forgotten. If we get justification by faith wrong, we're definitely not going to get sanctification right. Because it comes in on the heels of justification. If we start adding anything to Christ and what he did at Calvary's cross for the means that we are justified with God, then we're not going to make it. Because we're only justified by our faith and nothing else. And I know that we hear this, but yet we live out our lives day in and day out in our Christian wall thinking that we've got to do this, we've got to do that, we can't do this, we can't do that, and we think we're pleasing God or that we will obtain more of his favor or that we will obtain more of his love if we will just please him. Listen, without faith, it is impossible to please God. God. And we say this and we know it and we repeat it time and time again. But it has to be more than just words. It has to be our way of living that we have to realize and come before the Lord every day saying, God, I've got nothing. I am nothing without you. And at your mercy do I lay myself down because I have nothing. There's nothing that I can do that can please you. There's nothing that I can do to earn anything from you. Everything that we receive is by faith. 
and believing that Christ has already purchased it at Calvary's cross with his precious blood. And I want to just say tonight that it's not only our salvation, but whatever it is that you need tonight, it's already been bought and paid for. Amen. Your healing's been bought and paid for. Your victory's been bought and paid for. Your deliverance has been bought and paid for. Your joy, your peace, your rest, whatever it is that you need, it's already been bought. It's already been purchased by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And all he wants you and I to do is come to him and receive it by faith. Don't go to him trying to receive what you need with works because it will be rejected every time. But come to him saying, Lord, there's nothing that I can do to receive what it is that I need. But I believe in what you did at Calvary's cross. I believe that there it was purchased. And my friend, that is exactly where you will receive it, at the foot of the cross and nowhere else. So again, we can see the difference in this epistle versus all of the other ones that Paul wrote. And the reason why was because these Galatians were allowing the gospel to be corrupted and perverted in these churches. If you read the other epistles, you will see that Paul gives a great intro, if you will. Especially in the book of Philippians. I mean, he just comes right on in and, and the hospitality that was given. Warm greetings, if you will. But here in the book of Galatians, we see that he goes straight to the point. And he goes after them and upset with them because of the fact that they had turned. Paul had planted these churches in the city of Galatia. It, was, it would be like if we was here in this church, and well, we are a plant from another church, but if these other churches were planted based off of the foundation and preaching that Christ and him crucified is the only way that one could be justified, a person would come in, would plant all of these churches, get them going, they would be thriving, truly preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, but then later on down the road, they hear that we have turned and reverted back to law instead of just grace and faith. So Paul had heard this and he, he made his way back and he's hearing how the Galatians were turned away from uh, which they were founded upon simple grace and faith. And so Paul was upset and in his opening remarks to the church, you could see the abruptness and straight to the point. I don't even have time for warm greetings. I've got to get straight to the point because what you're doing is wrong. And if this isn't correct, it's going to fall out on souls being lost for all of eternity. See, that's how important this epistle is. Because if we get, again, justification by faith wrong, listen, our eternity hinges upon this gospel of grace. And if we don't simply believe that it's by him and only him, and we start to add works into the mix, we're not going to make it because it's, an, it's abhorrent to the Lord for us to try to bring to him our works and thinking that we can receive justification with him, that we can receive anything from him. Amen? So we find Paul after 14 years of the first time going to Jerusalem that we read about in chapter 1, making a trip back to Jerusalem with Barnabas, who was preaching and making the gospel of Jesus Christ known. And Barnabas was a great help to Paul. But we also find a third person making a trip with them, and it was Titus. And if you know anything about Titus, and you see on in here, Titus was not a Jew by blood. 
Titus was a Gentile. Titus was a Greek, if you will. So Paul was reporting to the church in Jerusalem to let them know what God was doing in the churches, if you will, in and through their ministry. And we find that he pulls some of them off to the side, and we find out later that it's Peter, James, and John, and he privately begins to talk about them who, who, who are preaching within the churches that you have to become a Jew first in order for you to be saved. So Paul's hearing this report that after he's left, that these Judaizers that came in from Jerusalem were entering into these churches that Paul had planted and was totally preaching opposite from what Paul was preaching. They were saying, yes, you can be justified by faith. You have to accept Jesus Christ as the Messiah, but you also have to become a good Jew. A proselyte Jew, if you will. Let me tell you something. You don't have to become anything to be justified by your faith. Just simply believe. Amen? And Paul was coming in and was saying, hey, we've got to get on the same page. Because what was going on here, they were going to tear down all that Paul had done. Amen? So again, we have to understand that the greatest meeting that had probably taken place or could have taken place was this meeting right here. This meeting right here that he was having with the councils in Jerusalem. And if you want to read the full story as to what went on, you can go back and read in Acts chapter 15. But the great foundation of faith was being discussed. The great doctrine of justification was being talked about. And again, these Judaizers had no problem with the Gentiles accepting Jesus and becoming part of the faith. But they said, you have got to keep the law. And I'm going to tell you something. Their Judaizer spirit, if you will, is alive and well today. There is many that will preach and many that will teach, yes, you accept Jesus. But not only do you have to accept Jesus and receive salvation, you've also got to be water baptized. Or they sit and say, you've got to be saved, water baptized, and also baptized in the Holy Spirit with the evidence with speaking with other tongues. They want to add uh, a sacraments and ordinances, if you will, to salvation and saying that you've got to partake, you've got to do all of these things in order to truly be saved. Do we see how wrong that that is? And it's not just water baptism or the baptism with the Holy Spirit. It could be you've got to be saved and become a member of a local church. You've got to be saved and also follow the, the rules and the doctrines of this denomination. Listen, nothing could be further from the truth. The only way one can be saved and the one that maintains salvation is by simply believing in Christ and what he has done we got to quit adding anything else to it. Because when we do that, we're getting far from the simplicity of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The, the reason why it's called the simplicity is that even a five-year-old can be saved. Just believe, Jesus came, he died for sinners, repent, invite in my heart, I'm now saved. By simple faith that even a child can be saved. I was uh, uh, impressed, if you will, and, and my heart warmed when one of the children came out, in fact, my second cousin, and, and, and it was being told and began to relate to me what he was taught this morning about Jesus wanting to come and to live in the heart. And, and he asked me why, and of course, I related to him again what Stacy had told him. And he said, oh, so he wants to live right here. 
Do you see the simplicity of the gospel of Jesus Christ? And we need to come back to that. We need to be like little children again. Lord, I believe and I accept what you did for me at Calvary. Amen? So again, there's no difference in today in the fact that most believe the way they believe. Let's say there is not any different today in the fact most believe the way they believe, not because they've asked for the Holy Spirit to enlighten the eyes of their understanding, not because they've searched the scriptures for themselves, but because they let someone else do the thinking for them. And this is a big problem in the church. And this is why there's much error in the church when it comes to this doctrine of justification. Because instead of them picking up the Bible and them saying, Lord, enlighten the eyes of my understanding. Help me to see in which the Holy Spirit will always point you back to a finished work at Calvary. They are depending upon what mama's told them, upon what daddy's told them, upon what grandma's told them. But let me tell you, it doesn't matter. And listen, I know disrespect to parents, and there was a lot of things that they said was, that was right. But again, if it doesn't point you back to simple faith, it's wrong. And we've got to ask the Lord to open up our eyes and to help us to see, amen? So again, I want you to come to this church, and, and again, I desire for all to hear the gospel. But if you're basing what you believe or don't believe off of what I say, then you're wrong. And a lot of people will be shocked at that statement. What I preach and what I teach to you should line up with the Word of God. And if you're studying the Word and you're walking with the Lord, it should bear witness in your heart that this right here is of the Lord, that this right here is true, amen? So many people's belief system is based off of the beliefs of others around them. Again, we think because so-and-so said it, and because they're sweet and genuine and sincere, that it must be right. But can I tell you tonight that no matter how sincere one is, sincerity does not mean truth. It doesn't matter how sincere one may be and what they're relating to us. If it's not truth, it doesn't matter how sincere that they are. So Paul comes to them and says, hey, we got to talk. We got to talk and we got to make sure that we're all on the same page or else the church is going to be ruined from the inside out. Because he knew that if this Jewish law and belief system continued to be pushed upon the Gentiles, then the results would be disastrous. Because they were trying to bring them in back into bondage and he knew that many of the Gentiles, many of that day in the church would just give up and go away. And that has happened all down through the ages. Amen? Many people, because law is being pushed upon them, man-made ideas and theology is being pushed upon them, many of them have walked away from it all because they said this is too hard or else they are trying to do what they have said and they are placing their faith in those works instead of simple faith in Christ's finished work. So again, much of the problem within the church today is that we are telling man that only through a series of works can they be justified. And we don't say it like that, but when we begin to point them to their performance in addition to the performance of Christ, then we are in essence telling them that their salvation isn't complete until they do X, Y, and Z. See, we'll look at them and tell them that salvation is by faith and faith alone. 
But yet when we start pointing them to their performance even after they get saved and saying that you must do all of these things in order to stay saved, we're pointing them to works and not faith. That's what we're doing. We're pointing them to themselves and not to the person of Christ and what he has done. So Paul brings Titus in, who again was a Gentile, as a test case, if you will, to prove his point to the council in Jerusalem. He said, here's Titus. He's a Christian, and he's not submitted to the circumcision. But can't you see that he's a Christian? The Jews said, well, there's no way that he could be a Christian. Doesn't matter the heart change. Doesn't matter the fruit that was being born. Doesn't matter that he laid before the kingdom of God. They based his salvation down all the way to the fact that he wasn't circumcised. And I can tell you again, many people will base your salvation. It doesn't matter how much you change. It doesn't matter that your talks change, your walks change. It doesn't matter how much fruit is being bore through you by the Holy Spirit. If you don't march and line up with what they say to do, you're cut off. You're not really saved. And if we believe that and hear that long enough, we will begin to question our own salvation. I can remember growing up like that, and I questioned and constantly lived in the condemnation, in that spirit of condemnation, and thinking that I wasn't good enough because I wasn't doing what so-and-so was doing. And I was thinking again it was based off of me or if I was just like them. And listen, I'm not, you're not called to be like anybody else. You are to be you. And all he wants you to do is just simply believe and let him live in you and through you. Amen? So again, these Judaizers were enraged by it. And they were pointing their fingers at him and saying that he can't truly be saved unless he got circumcised. So it doesn't matter his belief in Jesus. It didn't matter the fact that he had accepted Christ. It didn't matter that he labored for the kingdom. They based his salvation all the way down to circumcision only. You see, instead of telling them that the one condition for salvation, many people want to give them their convictions. We like to preach our convictions on other Christians. And we like to preach to them those things that we don't do and say, you shouldn't do these things either. And if you do, you're not really right. We're not to preach our convictions. If the Lord tells you not to do something, that's between you and Lord, that's it. But don't sit and preach your convictions on someone else and make them think they're not good enough or make them think they're not saved because they're not necessarily doing what you're not doing. And we've got to remember, too, one thing. When an individual gets saved, there is a process that takes place after they get saved. It's called sanctification. And it's still taking place in you and I, no matter how long that we've been saved. But people will get saved. I've seen it all down through time. And because they didn't immediately drop off everything and start marching to their tune, they doubted their salvation. And we've got to allow the Holy Spirit to do what only the Holy Spirit can do. We're not to clean the fish. He called us to be fishers of men, not to clean them up. Just cast out the reel, catch the fish, let him do the cleaning. Because while you're trying to do the cleaning, not only are you missing out on all of the other fish that are out there, but you're getting ready to kill the one that you just caught. And we've got to leave it to the Lord to do the cleaning. We catch and release. Let him clean them up. Amen. So again, Romans 10 and 13 says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be 
saved. Amen. You see, this scripture never says, whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord and gets circumcised shall be saved. No, it says, whosoever. Aren't you glad that you're a whosoever tonight? I'm a whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He didn't say maybe be saved. He didn't say if you do all of these things. He just says simply call upon the name of the Lord and you shall be saved. Case closed. It's done and over with. And that's what we live by. That's what we should be preaching. Not law but preaching the word of the Lord. Amen. He didn't say you got to be water baptized. He didn't say you have to speak with other tongues. He didn't say you have to become a member of a church. He just said, call upon the name of the Lord and you shall be saved. What about the, if, if all that other stuff had to take place, then where does that leave the thief on the cross? He didn't have time to go get water baptized. He didn't, the baptism of the Holy, he didn't speak in other tongues. He didn't become a member of a local body. He simply, just a couple of hours before dying, said, remember me. And right then and there we see that Jesus Christ said, today you will be with me in paradise. He didn't have to go through a long ritual. He didn't go through a ceremony. He just simply evidenced faith. Amen. So circumcision in the Old Testament was a sign of covenant relationship with God. But since Jesus came, he's not looking at the outer. He's looking to see if your heart's been circumcised. That's what he's concerned about. Clean yourself up all you want to on the outside. He's not looking at what man can see. He's looking at what man can't see. And what man can't see is your heart. You can't see my heart tonight. I can't see your heart tonight. But there is one that sees the depths of your heart. And he knows your heart better than you do. Amen. So many of these Jews were attempting to force the right of circumcision into the salvation process. And many have reduced salvation down to a sign or, or down to what you do or don't do rather than a relationship with Jesus. You see, you can do all man tells you to do and engage in every man-made law that there is, but none of that will justify you with God. What did the Bible say about Abraham all the way back in Genesis? Abraham believed God and it was accounted unto him for righteousness. For righteousness. Abraham didn't do anything else but simply believe in the promise that God had made him. Do you understand what that counted it unto him for righteousness? If you look at it in the, in the Greek, it is sort of like an accounting term. So look at it this way. It's like if you've got a bank account that has zero dollars and all of a sudden through no labor of your own somebody comes along and deposits it a one million dollar deposit in your account and says it's yours for free. You hear me? I don't know about you but I'd say add another zero to it or even take a zero away. I'm happy with ten dollars. Amen. But that's what it's like. It's like if somebody was to come along and deposit a big large sum of money into your bank account, you didn't do anything for it, you didn't labor for it whatsoever. That's exactly what salvation is. You didn't do anything for it. There's nothing that you could do. All you did was simply believe and God deposited His righteousness, His holiness into you. That should excite us tonight. All we had to do was believe and he deposited his very nature inside this old temple right here. Amen. A temple that was once wicked and 
defiled, but now houses the presence of Almighty God. That's why this church, the church is not a building. The church is the mystical body of Christ. We house the presence of Almighty God. Listen, everywhere you go, you're carrying His presence with you. Everywhere you go, amen? So again, the church is preaching works with a personal relationship with Christ being ignored. And that's what preaching and teaching should do. And, should, and that's what helps make disciples is that we, are, we preach for you to have a relationship with the Lord. Because that's what true Christianity is. Christianity is not about works. Christianity is not about laws. Christianity is not about do's or don'ts. And it's not a religion. It is a relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, lest any man should boast because if we could work for it or we could work to do something to maintain it right here he lets us know what we would do we would boast within ourselves but it is a gift from God not of anything that we can do and our boasting cannot then be in ourselves boasting is in Christ amen so salvation means you've been saved by his grace and you're now in relationship with Christ so to think that salvation consists of anything else other than grace extending unto undeserving individuals, then the Bible says that you have fallen from grace. Do we understand the importance of this tonight? If we shift our faith or we begin to add works in with simple faith in Christ and what he's done, then we have fallen from grace. Because again, listen, that channel is faith. Grace is extended unto us only at Calvary. And when we begin to add anything else to it, when we begin to come along and say, I've got to do Jesus plus something else, then listen, grace is nullified. And we have fallen from grace when we don't just simply trust in what he's done for our salvation. You see, the problem is many believe that salvation is freely received at initial conversion, but go on to say that in order to stay saved, you must now do this and now do that. And I will tell you that you maintain your salvation. You maintain your initial conversion with the Lord and what took place the same way how you came in. You stay in the same way that you came in. You don't stay in by a series of works. You stay in by simple faith in Christ and what he's done. But why is it that man don't want to go along with that? Why is it that man cannot just simply get out of the equation? Because that's the sin nature that exists within man who thinks that they can do something to contribute to this sacrifice that God has provided. They think they can contribute to this and thinking that they can receive something from the Lord. You don't contribute anything. You simply just receive what he has done. So Paul says that these false brethren, and why did he call them false brethren? He didn't call them brethren, he called them false brethren. Because they were not trusting solely in Christ. And, they, and, and all accounts, and it's in my belief, these people weren't even saved. They were Judaizers that were coming in because they wasn't trusting solely in the cross. They were saying that that's not enough. And when we add law to salvation, we are saying that Christ's blood was not enough. 
Now, either we believe that the blood of Jesus has taken away all sin, or we don't believe that it has. Either it is a finished and complete work, or else it's not. And we say that it's finished, we say that it's completed, and we thank Him for what He's done, but then all of a sudden we want to put ourselves into it, and we want to add to and we want to tell man that they've got to now do this and do that in order to stay saved and to be saved. But these Galatians, these false brethren that had visited them, wanted to do nothing else but what Paul said, spy out our liberty that they had in Christ Jesus. And let me tell you, they had one thing in mind, and that was to pull them back into bondage. You see, Satan's greatest effort to pervert the true gospel of Jesus Christ is by using man to bring those that have been set free right back into bondage so that you cannot enjoy the freedom that you have in Christ. Anything outside of just simple faith, just simply believing we've got liberty, we've got freedom, and only, there's only true liberty and only true freedom in Christ Jesus. And to pull away from the cross of Christ, to pull away from that finished work, means you're going right back into bondage. And that's what these Judaizers wanted to do. They wanted to bring these people back into bondage and make it hard upon them. But remember what Christ said, Come unto me and I will give you rest for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Man's yoke is never easy. Man will always put a heavy some burden on you. But Christ said his yoke is easy and his burden is light. So Satan knows what faith in Christ and Christ alone will do. It not only yields one eternal life, but also continue faith exclusively. And what Christ has done will also yield you an abundant life and victory over sin. This is why Satan does not want your faith to be solely in Christ and what he's done. He wants you to place your faith also in reading of the word. He wants you to also place your faith in something else. He wants you to invite law into this because he knows when you do that, you have just robbed yourself of the abundant life that Christ has died to give and you're definitely not going to experience a victorious life in Christ Jesus. Hello. In Christ Jesus. Because everything that we have, this victorious life that we have, is in Christ Jesus. He tells us this again and again and again in his epistles. And Satan don't want this message going forth. He don't want you to solely trust in Christ and what he's done. Because he knows if he can get your faith divided, he knows he's got you where he wants you, where he's robbing you of abundant life, and you're not experiencing victory. So salvation by faith versus salvation by works was here toe-to-toe. But salvation by works means man sets the standards. And I can tell you that these standards will differ depending on who you talk to. Salvation by works, the standard is set by man, and, the, and when man sets it, they're different. That's why you go to this one particular denomination, and if they had works, they say salvation is by this. If you go over here, somebody else will say, well, it's by this and this. Listen, salvation is simple faith in Christ and Christ alone. But salvation by faith means that God has set the standard and it is the same for all because it has been devised by God. Listen, God's got no respect to persons. He's not going to require you to do something he don't require me. He's not going to look at me and say, Wayne, you've got to also accept what I've done and also do this. But then look at this other individual and say, all you've got to do is believe. Listen, he set the standard. He's one God. He set it for all man, 
And that's it, just simply believe. Genesis 4, 3 through 5 says, And in process of time it come to pass, that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering, but unto Cain and to his offering he had no respect. And Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. So here we see this, we've read this time and time again. When the sacrifice is accepted, then automatically the sacrificer is accepted as well. He doesn't look at the one who's bringing the sacrifice. What he looks at is a sacrifice. And the reason why he was pleased with Abel was because of the sacrifice that he brought. That's why he was pleased with him. The reason why he wasn't pleased with Cain, it had nothing to do with the individuals. It was because they were trying, Cain was trying to bring the fruit of his own labor. Again, trying to bring works to receive from the Lord. And we were in Bible study the other day that we do at the other church, and Clay brought out a great point. And what we want to do many times as believers is we want to bring Abel's sacrifice. We want to bring the right sacrifice. We want to bring Jesus, but we also want to bring alongside of it the Cain's sacrifice as well. See, we won't just offer Cain's sacrifice all on its own, and we realize that that is wrong. But we want to bring Abel's sacrifice plus Cain's sacrifice as well. And let me tell you, as he said, if Abel's sacrifice would have been there and just one grape, if Abel would have just brought one little grape of the fruit, one little grape alongside of that sacrifice, it would have been in void. Do you get what I'm saying tonight? It has to be solely of the sacrifice. No fruit can be involved of your own doing. You can't add works into this whatsoever or else it will be rejected each and every single time. It doesn't matter who we are. It doesn't matter what our last name is. It doesn't matter what church we're in. It's only the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Amen. So God is equally annoyed and disgusted when we present to him the right sacrifice plus something, meaning our works, just as he is with the sacrifice of our own hands. Romans 3.22 says, Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them who believe, for there is no difference. So what Paul here is saying is that it doesn't matter whether Jew or Greek, the very righteousness of God is given one way, and it's by faith in Christ without works. See, this is the criterion and all of it all by itself. You can't earn this righteousness. You cannot receive more of his righteousness. He gives you his perfection and all of it when you get saved. Let me tell you something. There's not different levels of righteousness. When we get saved, you receive the righteousness of God. You get all of him. We know the Bible says, and it's right, those that hunger and thirst for righteousness shall be filled. When you were lost and undone, you were hungering and you were thirsting for something. And much of the world, because all of us are vessels that have been created and, and we hunger and we thirst for righteousness, but man without the Lord is trying to fill that void with everything else. But he said if you'll hunger and thirst for him, he will fill you up. He'll fill you with his righteousness. So we see in this verse that he justifies the ungodly by simple faith in the provision of God. I was thinking about this and putting it together. And you look at it like this when it comes to making the team. Whenever you see a sports tryout and they'll put tryouts up in the school. 
and they'll say, if you want to try out, sign your name, and then you'll have to go and you'll have to try out for that sport. And based upon your performance, it's determined whether or not that you make the team. Me, I, I knew not to even try out for some of them because I knew I had to save myself from the humiliation. I wouldn't have made it. Because I knew my performance would never be up to the standard that was set by that school, that was set by that coach. And there are many that try out and because they don't perform or because they're not good enough in man's eyes says that you don't make the team, we've cut you. But let me tell you, all of those that sign up to be with God, he will accept them. You don't have to try out. You don't have to perform. Just say, Lord, here am I. He says, you're on the team. Because there's no maximum to the team. It's for whosoever will. Amen. So these Judaizers were trying to impose their own belief system, their law upon the Gentiles. And was it just a matter of customs at stake, but the truth of the gospel was at stake. You see, they were nothing more but imposters coming into the church, conducting themselves at what seemed to be very spiritual leaders, and they were there to do nothing more but to spy out their liberty and to bring them back into bondage. I don't know about you, but I can, you can almost spot a self-righteous person a mile away. Their nose is up in the air. Well, they got it all together on the outside, just like the Pharisees, and they thought they had it all together. And what did the Bible say? Your white, he looked at them and said, you're whitewashed tombs. On the outside, you look good, but on the inside, you're full of dead man's bones. Because it's, not, it's all about the heart that he's looking at, amen? So our liberty, our freedom was being, uh, was being experienced, and these Judaizers didn't like it. And they came in, they saw the Gentiles weren't engaging in law, but simply living by faith and faith alone. Now, the term liberty defines the Christian experience more than anything else. Because the idea of liberty, which is freedom, means that one has been set free when one was once a captive. Meaning that there was a prior bondage or incarceration that had taken place. So what had happened before you got saved, you were in the jail cell. You were behind the bars. You were locked up. It didn't matter what you did. You could rattle that cage. You could work all you wanted to. You were staying locked in. But by simply believing in what Christ has done, Christ came alongside. He unlocked that lock that nobody else could unlock. And he set you free. Prior to that freedom, you were incarcerated. You were locked up. But when you said yes to Jesus Christ, you were set free. And he that the Son of sets free is free indeed. Amen. You see, we were bound, chained, shackled, having no freedom at all, not knowing what it was to truly be free. We were in bondage and incarcerated, meaning behind the prison bars. But I think about it as just like one that is on death row, one that is getting ready to be executed. And the only person that can pardon that person that is getting ready to be executed is the governor. But let me tell you, and the only way that that governor can pardon them is because there's been new evidence to come forth that says they were not guilty. You and I, spiritually speaking, were on that, we were to be evicted. We had a death sentence, but Jesus Christ pardoned us because new evidence come forth. You want to know what that evidence was? He seen the blood of Jesus Christ. And the blood of Jesus Christ washed us from all of our sin and didn't just declare us not guilty, but declare us innocent 
of all charges. And he said, God will let him go because he's free. You see, li true liberty is freedom from slavery to the powers that opposes God and his claims of fulfillment. Liberty doesn't come from man's achievement, but it comes from a gift of grace, which is all of God and none of man. So God liberated man from the law when he sent his son, Jesus, because Christ, we know, totally fulfilled the law in totality. And now all man has to do is basically and freely receive the righteousness of God. Romans 8 and 1, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Let me tell you something. Man will try to condemn you all day long because you don't do this, because you don't line up with the way that they believe. But the Bible, he says, there is now therefore no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. So all you have to do is look at them and say, hey, I'm in Christ Jesus. And the word tells me there is no condemnation. So throw off on me all you want to. I don't care. I've said yes to Jesus Christ. He has saved me by his marvelous grace I'm now walking around as a free man and I'm on my way to heaven so say what you will but it's going in one ear and out the other because I'm standing upon his truth that I'm not justified by anything that I do but I'm justified by simple faith in what he has already done for me but man will always try again to bring us back into bondage these Judaizers desire to do nothing more again but to bring them in bondage. And when you leave Calvary, when you leave the simplicity of Jesus Christ and him crucified, when you leave simple faith in him as the only means by being justified, then you have just stepped right back into bondage. There's too many Christians that have been set free from that prison bar. that They've been told to now go free, but because they leave the cross, they place themselves right back in to that jail cell, right back into bondage, never enjoying the freedom that Christ has purchased for them. So Paul thought, though he, refu he refused to compromise even to the slightest degree, and you and I should never compromise. Paul said, I'm not moving from this However, not one iota. I'm standing firm upon what the revelation was given to me. I'm not compromising from this. I don't care what you say. I don't care what theology degrees you may come at me with. I don't care how long you say you've been in the church. If it's anything outside of simple faith, I don't care. I'm not moving away from way I believe that I'm only justified by my faith and nothing else. We've got to be like that now more than ever before. Because it's the only way that we're going to make it. Because if we try to add ourselves into it, again, we've just nullified his grace from being received in our life. So if faith in Christ is compromised to the least degree, then the Son of God has died in vain. What did Paul say later on in chapter 3? That if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. Righteousness didn't come by the law. It came by the man Christ Jesus and if we can gain the righteousness of God or we can gain anything from God by the by the series of our own hands and our own labor then that means Christ has died in vain so simply put tonight as I end this and you don't even have to come and play we're good Jesus plus nothing equals everything but Jesus plus something equals nothing the moment that you add anything to this pure sacrifice, it means nothing. The Lord don't want you to do anything but to simply believe, deny yourself, 
and receive what he has for you and I. 2 Corinthians 13, 5, my last verse. Examine yourselves whether you be in the faith. Too many Christians are trusting Christ. They're trusting in Christ plus something else for salvation. And Paul here is telling us that there should be a continual, a constant examination. Are we truly of the faith? Are we truly resting in what Christ has done for us? Or are we looking to ourselves as well? Or are we looking to something else to redeem us? So there should be a continual examination each and every single day of our hearts. We've got to take a stand and say to the world, and most of all to the church, that it's only by the blood of Jesus Christ that one is justified. Because if we want, to, if we want the truth of the gospel to continue, then we've got to proclaim that, that it's nothing else but Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And by Him and Him alone, can one be saved? Amen. Amen. Stand to your feet tonight. I don't know about you, but uh, I'm not going to change. I'm going to stand upon him. I'm going to stand upon what he's done. And I refuse to let anyone or anything bring me back into bondage. And I, and I, don't, I believe the same about you, desire to continue to experience the freedom that we have in Christ. But that freedom and that liberty will only continue as you look to the finished work of Calvary. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you tonight for your word. We thank you, Lord, that you have done it all for us. And, Lord, there's nothing that we have to do. Lord, there's nothing that we could do, Lord, to receive this glorious gift of grace. But, Lord, you have done it all. And, God, there would be many that may try to pull us away from this simple truth. But, Lord, I pray that tonight, Lord, that our faith ever be rooted and grounded in what you have done for us. Lord, that there will be a continual examination of our heart and that we would be of the faith. And that, Lord, not only, Lord, would we stand fast upon what you've done for us, but that, Lord, we would go out and boldly proclaim this glorious gospel and tell others that are lost and dying, Lord, that all they have to do is simply turn to the one who's done it all for them, believe and receive what you have for them. Lord, we thank you again tonight for the blood of Jesus Christ that has purchased our salvation and everything else that it is that we need. Lord, may we never stray from the cross, but Lord, keep us near the cross at the foot of the cross. And we ask it all in the name of Jesus Christ, and everyone said, amen and amen. We thank you for being with us tonight. We thank you for watching, by the way, of Internet. Remember our prayer meeting on Tuesday at 7 p.m., Wednesday night Bible study at 7 p.m. Invite others, tell others to come, and then again, of course, next Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. We love each and every one of you. Be blessed.